morning, everyone. Wednesday, the 20th of April. Looks like a bit of a positive night letting into a positive day for us. Tom, you've got the overnight wrap. I do. Thanks, Ben. Yeah, a good night on Wall Street. Dow Jones up 500 points. S&P 500 up 1.6%. And the NASDAQ outperforming up 2.15%. We did see growth names come in ahead of value, even and that was despite high bond yields. Nothing incremental or major overnight on the headline front. We did see uh, US results digested relatively well, apart from Netflix, which lost subscribers for the first time in 10 years, the stock down more than 20% on the back of that. IBM and Johnson & Johnson also reported results. We did have housing data from the US surprise to the upside, and there was some Fed speak in the mix as well. Oil was down more than 5%. The fall was linked to the IMF and their downgrade for the global economy. They have their spring meeting running until April 24th. So we'll likely see a few more minor headlines creep in the next few days. Base metals mixed as they returned from their Easter break. Gold was down 1.4%. Iron ore a touch weaker as well off 1.1%. To the local market, Following the US, we have a growth outperforming value. Healthcare, tech, and consumer discretionary names are higher. Healthcare sector buoyed by Ramsey, which is the code for that RHC. They are up 27% following a bid from private equity KKR. That bid is $88. Banks higher around 1% each. Energy stocks a little bit weaker on the back of the fall in the iron ore price. Miners also easing a touch. We did have production numbers out from Rio. They observed a challenging first quarter, although stuck to its iron ore and copper guidance. News Corp is tipped to enter the Australian sports betting market. And we note that Betmakers is in a trading halt and they are linked to the news from News Corp. Santos has announced a US $250 million on-market buyback, and Nearmap has flagged a record first quarter. On the economic front, nothing really that exciting. The Westpac leading index for March is out. That index is designed to predict the direction of the economy in the future, but tends to have a muted impact because a lot of the components of the measure are released prior. US has mortgage applications tonight, and there's a few more Fed speakers as well to look out for. Thank you, Ben. Great. Thank you, Tom. I read earlier today that Matthew Tripp has been announced or said to be announced as the chief executive for the News Corp betting venture. And he's, of course, the person that took a strategic partnership stake in Betmakers, as you mentioned. So for every chance that, that that trading hold is not a coincidental timing and it's going to be something linked to there. Just a couple of other things on the overnight, just to say IBM is up 2.5% on results, Johnson Johnson 3%, and uh, rather than 20%, Netflix down 25% on that loss of subscribers. And it wasn't so much lost subscribers. I think they lost a whole load because of the Ukraine war. They literally lost a whole well, that was load. That a big market Ukrainians. for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. And, uh, but they were also saying that the next month uh, that trend was sort of set. So uh, people worrying about it. And Netflix, too, are also down almost 50% since their high late last year before that announcement. So it's been a pretty um, severe deterioration over the last nine months for them. Very good. Leighton, any broker stuff for us today? Thanks, Ben. Welcome back. I hope you had a good Easter. I've got a couple Thank to you. go through here. I've got Wally, which received an upgrade from Macquarie. 
with the broker expecting the company to benefit from the redeployment of Russian oil and gas to other regions as more sanctions are imposed. So Wally currently receives 45% of its revenue from the Americas. And Macquarie expects the US to increase investments in oil, gas, and renewable energy. So the broker has lifted its target price 21% to $15.26, implying a 9% upside. Uh, Wally's is seen as uh, one of the better trades on the energy sector or the oil price trend. If you look at the correlation, it's very high but they are a uh, services company. So they're servicing oil producers. I've got Hub24 who reported yesterday and they had inflows of $2.6 billion in the quarter, which was up 36% year on year. But that actually missed broker expectations, which were around $2.9 to $3 billion. So the brokers have retained their outperform recommendations there, but slightly lowered their target prices. We've got Credit Suisse with a target price of $36, implying a 39% upside. And Macquarie has a target price of $32.60, implying a 26% upside. And I've just got one more there, Computer Share. The code for that one is CPU. Morgan Stanley has an overweight recommendation there. And the broker anticipates higher margin income for CPU after factoring in six US rate hikes over the next 24 months. Morgan Stanley has lifted its target price 12.8% to $28.20, which implies a 10% upside. I remember doing a, um, a little feature on computer share not that long ago, and it's something like 90% of the rate cut benefit is literally passed through to their profit, profit line. So no surprises that the brokers are projecting some increased margins. Thanks, Layden. And yeah, we'll throw straight on to Marcus. Yeah, a few strategy pieces uh, or, or points today. Uh, just uh, a bit of a summary of recent points. Markets are uh, on hold a little bit ahead of the May 4th FOMC meeting. Russian conflict is extending at the same time, extending inflation concerns as commodity prices stay up. There's now talk of a 75 basis point rate rise on May the 4th from the FOMC, and that was after a bollard comment that they wouldn't rule that out. So the possibility is the Fed could be raising rates 75 basis points on May the 4th, then another 50 basis points uh, on June 15th, I think it is. And then, you, then you'll see interest rates up 1.25% in two meetings. And then you also have the combined effect or influence of uh, quantitative tightening as well, and the uh, uh, tight uh, unwinding of their balance sheet. So that has extra influence as well. Yeah. Otherwise, 10-year bond yields still rising. Have a look at the chart in the strategy piece. We were talking a couple of weeks ago about peak paranoia on interest rates uh, after their CPI number looked like that might be the peak number, but uh, certainly bond, bond markets are not behaving that way and 10-year bond yields still going higher. And again, that's in anticipation of something on May the 4th. And that's why we're all waiting for May the 4th before the market really develops a, a new certainty. We had RBA minutes yesterday and the timing for the first Australian interest rate rise is coming forward. They said yesterday, these developments have brought forward the likely timing of the first increase in interest rates. The expectation, as I said yesterday, is that they won't touch interest rates. The RBA won't touch interest rates 
close to a federal election on May the 21st. So we'll probably not want to raise rates until July. But if you look at uh, what's going to happen between now and their July meeting, the Fed will have had two rate, two rate rises, possibly have upped rates by 1.25%, leaving the RBA looking woefully behind the curve. And so the expectation is that we may now damn the politics and see a rate rise as early as June. And we have in the in the newspapers, they're speculating about seven rate rises before the end of the year with rates going to 2.0% in Australia. Interest rate rises are coming, everybody. It may not have started yet, but it's just about to start racking up. And I've got a fabulous chart of the Australian 10-year bond yield compared to the Australian, no, to, uh, compared to the RBA's cash target rate. Have a look in the strategy piece of that. And there is just this massive divergence at the moment with real interest rates ripping up the 10-year bond yields over 3%, 3.12%, and we're still sitting there at 0.1% on the official cash rate, target rate. And the, to, to think the RBA was trying to tell us last November that rates won't rise until 2024. We're now looking at seven rate rises before the end of 2022. Wouldn't be the first time the RBA have deluded themselves, but clearly they are coming to their senses now. So that's one of the strategy points today. The RBA is under pressure. We all need to prepare for higher rates. And along those lines, we've got a couple of ideas in the ideas section today, which we haven't written yet. Uh, we're writing in a minute, but we will be adding a couple of stocks to the ideas section today to take advantage of the interest rate persistence. We also saw the IMF downgrade global growth forecasts overnight. Just to say, at some point, higher interest rates start to impact growth. We had those recession fears a while back, well, only a month or so ago on the back of higher rates. We seem to have forgotten those for the moment, but here you have the IMF downgrading global growth forecasts. You can't raise rates without impacting growth. And that of course is the idea that inflation comes down because people are spending less. So uh, at some point, this could trigger the top of the cycle, the economic cycle, the global economic cycle. And then the IMF may be the first of many to start downgrading GDP forecasts, at which point you start to worry about Resources sector. Have a look at the chart in the in the strategy piece. Resources sector has been flying along, outperforming the market significantly. Of course, helped by the Russian conflict and higher oil prices, higher metal prices, plus the uh, underlying electric vehicle uh, demand for everything to do with uh, batteries. And you, you have a, a perfect storm for the resources sector at the moment. At some point, that's going to end. And I think one of the most important things for all of us as investors to do in Australia is try and time the top of the resources sector. It hasn't come yet, but you can see the IMF downgrading GDP. You might see others doing the same thing. It's at some point, the, the cycle tops out. And I'm, I'm guessing that will come when the Russian conflict looks like being solved and that will take the froth out of commodities prices and the sector. The other thing I've written about today is have a look at the research on all the banks I've put in the strategy piece today, average target prices and recommendations. We're rolling into the bank's results season. The calendar's in the strategy piece today as well. And uh, CBA and Bendigo Adelaide Bank don't have results coming up, but the rest do, including Macquarie. 
The Bank of Queensland goes X quite a big dividend on May the 4th. And then we've got the other banks uh, coming up. The sector has been quietly outperforming the market and holding the Australian market up relative to the US market. And you'd expect that to continue over the results season. They generally underperform a little bit, obviously, after they go ex-dividend. But for now, this is the moment to be holding banks ahead of NAB, Westpac and ANZ results uh, running into the results season. So details and all the research on that in the strategy piece today. And that is about that for strategy. Thanks, Marcus. And Tom, you've got some new ideas today for us. Yes, we do. Uh, Tied to the higher interest rate theme, and Marcus was talking at length about that, Computer Share and QBE, both very much tied to that idea. So expect to see some updates in the ideas portfolio with those tickers. Those two stocks are effectively two of the most obvious large cap stocks that benefit out of higher interest rates. They have already, if you look at the share prices. So we're a bit late in the game, but the uh, expectation is that this interest rate theme will is just about to ramp up with all the official rate rises. And, we did, and the brokers as well still uh, upgrading and um, putting out recommendations for over, overweight recommendations. So they still think there is still upside as well. Yeah. Also on the ideas front, I'm not sure I'm going to put the ideas in yet, but you might just notice that sharp rise in Syria resources yesterday, SYR, on the back of getting a loan off the US government, in fact, off the US Department of Energy. This is part of that uh, ATVM, it's called the Advanced Technology Vehicles Manufacturing Loan Program. They've got the ability, this is a Biden critical minerals strategy. They've got the ability to loan out $17 billion and they've lent money to companies like Ford and Nissan. And here they are lending 107 million US dollars to Sira Resources, a, a small Australian company that currently has a production of graphite, graphite flakes in Mozambique, but is building a plant, and this is what the money is for, build a plant in Louisiana. And that will, uh, and this is the US government putting their foot on graphite supply. And it's a, just an interesting development because uh, we have certain problems. This uh, supply of electric vehicles commodities is going to become political because 85% of graphite comes from China and also 95% of rare earths comes from China and Myanmar. And they filter all their stuff, all their uh, production through something like six state-owned Chinese companies. And it's unreliable for all of us to rely on China and Myanmar to, for rare earths. And rare earths go into the drivetrains of electric vehicles. There's something like two kilograms of rare earths in every electric vehicle. And also into wind turbines and wind turbines for every megawatt of wind turbine power there's one ton of rare earths and in 2009 china just blocked rare earths going to japan and you can see if political tensions get out of hand we could be or the particularly the us is paranoid of getting getting held to ransom uh, by the chinese 
for the supply, essential supplies that go, going into wind farms, which is a huge growth industry, and electric vehicles. And electric vehicles are set to grow by seven times in the next decade, and wind turbines eightfold. And they need rare earths because there are a lot of magnets, which is what rare earths are effectively. And there are already forecast shortfalls in supplies. So interesting that this whole space of rare earths, which we already know about, but also graphite, anything to do with electric vehicles and batteries uh, is becoming, is moving from being economic to political. And in Australia, the Australian government has lent $1.2 billion to Aluka. Uh, which is 7% of world supply of rare earths, because they too are trying to make sure that we've got enough rare earth supply. So uh, interesting space, not just from an electric vehicles point of view, but also from the threat of a political dominance uh, of particularly China from a, for a lot of these, as uh, Biden calls them, critical minerals. If, if they were just electric vehicle minerals, he called them minerals. But because the Chinese are controlling production, they're critical minerals because it could become critical to the U.S. So interesting developments there from the U.S. And you can see this theme of uh, United States in particular, but also other Western countries trying to find their own supplies of anything that goes into batteries. So this uh, pressure on critical minerals, as well as other minerals like uh, just nickel, uh, copper, uh, is going to remain. Anyway, interesting. I was thinking of adding a, a bunch of rare earths and uh, graphite stocks to the ideas section, but I haven't done that today. A little bit too busy. Back to you, Ben. Thanks that, Marcus. Plenty of good stuff there, and thanks for the earlier ideas, Tom. And our question of the day, talking about the pressure on the RBA to raise rates earlier than planned. And our question from that is, what do you think of the property market? Tom, could you kick us off, please? In one word, expensive. <laughs> and I brought up some data, and this was released, I think it was CoreLogic the other month. And property prices in Melbourne are something like between 13 and 15 times the average annual income and I'm pretty sure that value is before tax as well so it's not really an accurate measure after tax it's probably something like 20 times so it is very expensive and um, I guess I'll have to wait for my inheritance or my parents to keel over before I uh, can start looking at property ownership but that in one word expensive. So you might be able to build yourself a little shack in Torquay or something Tom. Maybe a little little dog kennel might be more. <laughs> uh, Thank you, Tom. Layden? Yeah, it's becoming just really, really unaffordable. And it sort of gets to the point where you have to think, is this something that I'm going to continue looking at or should I take another, take another path? Uh, I remember Tom sent me a photo one time of comparing the prices back to like the 1950s or something. Back then, it was two or three times the average wage. And yeah, as you were saying, now it's 14 times. So yeah, very, very expensive. And I don't think not eating avocado on toast is going to help us get there any quicker. So yeah, thanks, Ben. Thank you, Layden. All right, we've got two, two young opinions. Marcus, what's yours? 
Well, in the short term, I think it's inevitable, and I've already seen it. It's inevitable. The uh, property price prices short term are plateauing a little bit. As I said yesterday, a host of people we know have seen unexpected rises in their properties in the last year since COVID and have taken the money and headed off. And so there, there is, I think, going to be more property on the market, but you've got to take into account rates are just about to start rising. And uh, we haven't got into this cycle yet. And although we know it's coming and we, we go, yeah, yeah, rates are going to rise. Rates are going to rise. You're going to struggle to get a mortgage at a price that you can afford. And anyone who has gone and borrowed a million dollars is suddenly going to find themselves paying 5% instead of 3%. And that could make a material difference. Effectively, cost of a mortgage could double in the next year or so if you don't watch out. What I would say to you about unaffordable is that I remember in London when house prices moved enough, we were, we were paying 15 to 18% mortgage rates and property prices were still going up. But what I can tell you is they became unaffordable, uh, but they kept going up and they continue to go up. So there's, there's no barrier because house prices are uh, expensive relative to average income. There is no barrier. It does not stop as population continues to squeeze. So uh, I'm afraid you, you can't wait for lower property prices. And Ben, what do you think? I think there's some good points there. I think uh, the in, the rising rates is going to definitely impact people's ability to borrow and their ability to pay back. That's what we may see some more houses on the market. Uh, and the other thing is immigration. We've had a big halt in immigration and the, the data is something around a 1% increase of immigration into a, an area results in a 1% price rise in properties over the following year and we've had a halt in immigration through COVID and I think it looks like it's probably going to be slow to come back so you combine that with the rising rates then all of a sudden there's a lot more reasons to for property prices to go down than there are to go up I'm not saying that they will but I would be if I was looking to sell I'd be looking to do it sooner rather than later and if I was looking to buy I'd be quite happy to hold my fire for a little bit and then it obviously comes down to different areas will be hit in different ways because you know, there's always, as long as there's a surplus of doctors and lawyers and people that own uh, stock market newsletters, then the suburbs full of mansions will still hold their value. One thing I would say about uh, houses and the current situation is we were talking to someone yesterday, weren't we, Tom, who's uh, in the residential property market and their company cannot find raw materials to build the houses and they cannot find the labour to build houses. So even if you were to see a demand for housing, they simply can't build it. That's another squeeze on property prices because we're not going to be able to build as many houses as we were building until these supply chain issues disappear. So pressure on prices uh, despite rising interest rates. So I don't expect a collapse in the property market, I don't think, but I think we are already seeing a plateauing short-term in Melbourne. Certainly. Yep, all very interesting. And uh, I think that wraps it up for today. Thanks, guys. See you tomorrow.